0: Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced at the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne, and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahearn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This is coal. Don't be
1: afraid. The Don't be scared. It won't the hurt Treasurer you. knows the rule on crops. It's coal. There's no word for colophobia officially, Mr Speaker, but that's the malady that afflicts those opposite. But it's that malady, Mr Speaker, that is afflicting the jobs in the towns and the industries and indeed in this country because of their pathological, ideological opposition to coal being an important part of our sustainable and more certain energy
0: future. That was Scott Morrison, waving a lump of coal around in Federal Parliament back in February 2017. Well... Morrison got his Christmas wish, and now he's our Prime Minister. Not long before Malcolm Turnbull was deposed from the top job, it came to light that Turnbull and then Environment Minister Josh Frydenberg met with a little-known organisation called the Great Barrier Reef Foundation. And at the meeting, they promised this little-known private foundation $444 million dollars. The federal government handed over this staggering amount of money without notice, without scrutiny and without public tender. So why would the federal coalition government that is outright hostile to the science of climate change and has been slow to take any action to protect the reef throw around so much public money like this? Well, Peter McCallum is the coordinator of the Mackay Conservation Group in Queensland, and he gives us some clues.
2: It's, yeah, it doesn't seem like a very sensible idea. I think what the government has done is used this um, uh, donation to this organisation as a way of um, uh, getting their accounts in order with the um, the, the United Nations uh, uh, Committee that's looking into the World Heritage Status of the they that they've... they've um, uh, they committed to spend making a large expenditure on uh, on rehabilitation of uh, waterways and, and things that are impacting on the Great Barrier Reef, and, and to do that by 2020. Um, but it's not really possible for their for, for organisations that are under the control of the government to do that, like the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority or the Australian right. Institute of Marine Science. So they've. They've parked this money in in an external organisation in the hope that uh, UNESCO will then say, well, you've done, you're great, tick that box, you've spent all that money, uh, when nothing will have been done by then.
1: Yeah, it's, um, well, also, um, the. the Great Barrier Reef, well, it, there's always, uh, you mentioned a couple of authorities, but there's also some unis up there who are doing, like, sure. like Cook, Point. Um, what's his name, Captain Cook, James Cook, James um, Cook, James um, Cook who know. are um, doing amazing research work in this area, yet, um, you know, they would seem to be much more viable groups to give this sort of money to who are actually doing work on research. Yeah, well, look.
2: you know, so what's going to happen now is that um, those organisations will have to apply to the Great Barrier Reef Foundation. Uh, full funding for those projects rather than going straight to the government or the government just giving uh, those other organizations that are controlled um, more money in the budget uh, so there is no uh, no need for you know further you know grant writing and, and all those sort of processes that you know occupy scientists time when they should be out uh, doing work on the reef you know that's, that's really what 's important uh, people who are doing the research and uh, and, and undertaking the work that is going to, uh, to prevent, uh, further pollution. Uh, and also, you know, we should, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure that this money will actually go to, um, doing anything about climate change. It may be looking at, um, ways of mitigating the damage after climate change occurs, but not really, um, uh, stopping the, the, the actions that are causing the reefs to be bleached, uh, year after year.
1: Yeah. Well, they name about three things, including the the um, starfish, the the crown of thorn starfish, mm. and a couple of other things. But uh, the three things they mention that the money is going to going to be directed to don't mention climate change at all. So uh, yeah. one might have thought that that would be fairly important. Oh, uh, of
2: course it is. You know, like uh, you know, that is the single biggest threat to the reef. Um, but of course, we also recognise, you know, it's like having a patient who has uh, terminal cancer, but also serious heart disease and uh, and kidney failure. You know, mm-hmm. you need to you need to treat all those things uh, right. if you want the reef to survive. So, so you know, we we have uh, here in uh, Mackay, where I am, um, a big sugar industry that um, uh, you know really hasn't uh, stepped up to the plate in terms of preventing. Uh, you know nitrogen and and uh, and sediment runoff from farms reaching the reef. Uh, so that that's really an important issue in terms of you know uh, changing the uh, the ecology of the reef. Uh, it encourages crown of thorns starfish, um, kills seagrass. that um, you know, but turtles and dugong uh, are absolutely dependent on. Um, but it, it, you know, like we we need to we do need to do those things. That this money is going to. Um, but we need to do a lot about climate change and we need to do a lot more than this money uh, will we'll fund. Um, mm. Our understanding is that uh, the cost of rehabilitating um, all those waterways that are, are flowing into the Great Barrier Reef would be in the order of like 16 to $22 billion. So this half billion is, um, is really you know, completely inadequate.
0: Peter McCallum speaking on 3CR's City Limits Programme.
3: the sun right
0: To Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the community radio network. Dwayne Johnson, a school groundskeeper in the United States, took chemical multinational Monsanto to court in California, alleging glyphosate, known for the common pesticide Roundup, causes cancer. He won his case and was awarded $289 million in damages. Bob Phelps of the community group Gene Ethics, explains the case to us and why we should be campaigning against glyphosate.
1: Yes, indeed. Well, uh, unfortunately, Mr Johnson is going to die from his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm,
4: not long, so, they said.
1: Yes, so the Californian government uh, has a rule that can expedite cases into court, and uh, that's the situation. He, um, Because he's going to die, they um, heard the case and it, was, it went to a jury after a month, and the jury comprehensively found in his favour, and as you said, awarded $289 million uh, against Monsanto. And of course, Monsanto has recently been bought by Bayer. So we saw last Monday that um, Bayer's uh, share price went down 10% the first uh, moment that it was opened in the morning. And... Uh, It's also had impacts on Australian producers of glyphosate, which is marketed as Roundup as well. New Farm, uh, an Australian uh, marketer of Roundup here in Australia, Um, uh, its share price has been hit during the week as well. So this is having uh, initially commercial impacts, but also, of course, a number of councils in Australia are now deciding that they won't use glyphosate any longer in the management of weeds, particularly in school playgrounds, in parks and uh, on the street sides where animals and children may be affected. And interestingly, the first council in Victoria to sign a five-year contract for an alternative system known as weed steamers is the city of Yarra in which 3CR is based. So uh, quite soon you're going to see those weed steamers around the streets instead of young guys in thongs and shorts spraying Roundup, which uh, we now know uh, quite clearly does lead to cancers in human beings.
4: And and Roundup, um, uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it was an Australian product?
1: No, no. Uh, okay. Roundup has uh, been on the market since 1974. The biggest um, weed killer globally. It's mm. uh, used mm. uh, really around the world. And in 2015, there was a comprehensive... A uh, study of this by the United Nations International Agency for Research on Cancer, otherwise known as IARC, that found that uh, Roundup is a probable human carcinogen, and that's what's moved forward. And the ingredient
4: forward. is glyphosate.
1: Glyphosate is the yeah. main active ingredient. Our uh, Agricultural and Pestina- Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority (APVMA), which is our main uh, chemicals regulator on farms and in the community in Australia of course has reviewed the evidence they've said all is well with Roundup as long as you follow the label instructions and um, that sort of held off the inevitable that, that Roundup now is on the nose it's um, on people's minds we see um, a flock of local government uh, areas uh, I mentioned the city of Yarra but mm. there are 35 others that have now turned away from Roundup as well, and we're hoping that uh, local government will comprehensively reject it as well. But it's a warning to shoppers who, in any um, hardware store or supermarket, will see Roundup on the shelf and should think twice about buying it and using it in their gardens as well.
4: And and Bob, I guess for me that's where I you know wanted to to get in contact with you. It's it's all well and good. Obviously, you mentioned that thirty five out of the seven hundred um, councils in Australia are already using weed steamers for you know uh, you know I'm, I'm talking about avid gardeners who have been using Roundup for 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 decades. What does this mean? How do we then convince them that this product actually isn't? good for them, you know, because obviously we don't have a case that's happening in this country at the moment.
1: Well, I think people will convince themselves. Uh, There will be cases in Australia, I'm sure. Mm. There are particularly farmers suffering non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The thing is that uh, gardeners are using a very weak um, brew of this stuff. It's around about 1% of the active ingredient, whereas Mm. farmers and uh, the commercial users of Roundup are using... Uh, formulations that can be up to 40% uh, glyphosate. So they are much more exposed and that was the group in particular that the IARC, the UN committee, found uh, was most likely to be affected, have their health affected uh, by the use of this stuff. Because
4: they're using it all the time, not so much on, you know, once every six months or whatever.
1: Well the other thing about glyphosate and Roundup of course is that it's also now used extensively on crops. Uh, when they're about to be harvested
4: Mm, which uh, we eat
1: which we then eat with glyphosate residues in the foods and this is becoming a major issue particularly in global trade because Europe in particular is now saying uh, we have zero tolerance for Roundup residues in our um, in the commodities that you're exporting to us and uh, so this week in the rural media there's extensive coverage uh, from the Uh, agribusiness perspective crying like one thing saying oh we're going to lose glyphosate and oh we can't farm without glyphosate to produce uh the bulk commodities that are exported and there's major disagreement among the farming community in Bali for instance where we now find that uh, uh the brewers of beer are saying we don't want roundup in our beer uh they're crying because um Uh, another group who are producing barley for animal feed are saying, well, it doesn't make any difference to to us us, and we're going to continue to spray. So war is breaking out all over the place over this um, uh, chemical, which, of course, um, a lot of these chemicals were produced uh, for uh, the war, the Second World War in particular, and we've had the uh, chemical age ever since the Second World War. uh, Chemicals were used in Vietnam In Korea and all around the globe we see in in conflicts and now we're having the conflicts out on the land where the same chemicals are used to kill insects to kill plants that we don't like and um, the chemical age is coming home to roost I think now this is in the context of um, us contaminating the world with plastics which are also produced by the same industry.
4: With chemicals,
1: yeah. Uh, The chemical industry is producing stuff for war on the environment. Um, Some of the councils that are now uh, rejecting glyphosate, of course, are doing it on the basis that they're going to damage the Great Barrier Reef, which is a very good reason as well. The cane growers of North Queensland, of course, are crying foul, saying um, we can't manage our weeds without it. So our governments, which are in disarray as well, need to have a very, very serious rethink about how, why and for whom we are going to continue to use toxic chemicals out in the environment. The community can do its bit by taking those chemicals out of its gardens, out of its um, houses, and uh, we can start rethinking the chemical age and getting on to clean and green production systems for our food, uh, for for every aspect of our life. Uh, in this age of chemicals.
3: Hi, uh, Bob, this is Will. Um, so, a, a little earlier you mentioned that there were some local councils who have done their bit in getting Roundup out of our environment. Um, who, in terms of um, sort of social organisations or even political parties, are doing their bit um, to get glyphosate out of our environment?
1: The local government, as I mentioned, is doing it. its bit. State governments are given the thorny job of trying to monitor this. And then the federal government's regulator, the APVMA, uh, relies on simply writing words on labels and saying, yes, it's okay, provided you follow the label instructions. Mm. Now, Mm -hmm. we need a thoroughgoing review of this. And what we're saying at the moment is that the chemical review scheme, which was abandoned in 2014 uh, in a deal that the National Party and the Labor Party did together, uh, crop life in that year, which is the... Global network of the chemical industry, which lobbies governments around the world, came to both of them, gave them tens of thousands of dollars for their election war chest in uh, 2014, and cancelled uh, the uh, chemical review and re registration scheme, which was due to start, in which we would have seen many chemicals which, uh, for up to the last 50 years, Have been registered without proper data without proper evidence of their safety we want to get those toxic chemicals out of our environment and out of our um, particularly our food production systems and we are now saying to the federal government and to the federal opposition we want you to bring that scheme back we want you to get serious about reviewing all uh, chemicals used out in the environment uh, on farms uh, in, in weed management and uh, insect management systems and uh, that's the thing that we're asking for as a policy for this coming election.
4: In that sense then you're sort of talking about the idea of a Senate inquiry, is that right? But but then, you know, who, do, who would the federal government listen to? If somebody like the a- Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority reject some of the you know, uh, international agency research on cancer findings, who who would the government be listening to really? Because it's hard for them to make a decision, isn't it? Like those policies are based on quote-unquote scientific facts.
1: Well, um, I think that we need to start questioning the advice on which uh, our regulators, whether it's the APVMA mm. or the Office of Gene Technology Regulator or Food Standards of Australia, New Zealand, mm. these people use what's called regulatory science. I think you could sh- shorthand for that is Mickey Mouse science. Uh, they use um, scientific evidence mostly generated by the companies that are going to be regulated. And uh, in the case of the Pesticides Authority, we've got the very awful situation where the uh, chemical companies actually pay the regulator, to be regulated. So in the case of Roundup, the glyphosate, um, they contribute, because they're the biggest uh, chemical used in Australia, uh, they contribute most to being regulated themselves. This is the trap of governments requiring the regulator to uh, to pay for being regulated, and that compromises the decisions of the regulator. We need to change that. We need to require that all things are reviewed in the case of chemicals, and we need to start paying those dues into consolidated revenue and make sure that our regulators are genuinely independent and not relying primarily on evidence provided to them by the companies which they are supposed to be independently regulating. They're our public servants. They should be serving us and serving the public interest not serving the interests of the industries that they are set up to regulate. And they need to be using genuine science, not this Mickey Mouse version, which is called regulatory science, which uh, makes a whole lot of um, best guesses and judgments. Where there's no um, evidence or hard data available to ensure that something's safe to go into our food supply or onto our farms... uh, they should be requiring new evidence and that's what the system that i've talked about the review and re-registration scheme which was cancelled in 2014 would have done every 15 years um, every agricultural chemical would have been required to be reviewed even in the usa they now have a 15-year review scheme uh in europe it's 10 years and around about now Uh, those major markets for our commodities are starting to say, hey, hang on, we're reviewing our chemicals, we're requiring them to go down to near zero, uh, in the case of the glyphosate particularly, and uh, we're going to require you to do the same. So we we, we need to start listening, Uh, we need to start acting now. In fact, uh, in The Land, which is the main rural newspaper in uh, New South Wales last week, was um, just warning its readers that it's time to engage or face losing glyphosate altogether. Uh, They're counselling the farming community to get active on this, not to put their heads in the sand, not to um, ignore the warnings that very soon this uh, major system for managing weeds may disappear because of the trade implications, because of the environmental implications. And because they don't have a social lion, um, a license from the Australian community that doesn't want the residues of those chemicals in food any longer either.
4: Well, um, Bob, thank you for joining us on Three CR. I know, um, yeah, we've uh, had you know a few sort of conversations with uh, other organisations talking about the fact that you know genetically modified food is part of the the. The problem that comes from glyphosate as well, and we know that, you know, um, people are still being feeling like they're being poisoned by some of the things that they eat as well with glyphosate. So we appreciate you uh, giving us an update on, um, yeah, what is happening with with the issue.
1: Sure. Well, those um, uh, roundup tolerant crops, the canola and cotton in particular, are, have been pushing the increase of the use of glyphosate. We've got to get those out of our production systems too. And we need local people to get active with their local councils. That's one of the main things. If they want to work with gene ethics, uh, come on our Facebook page, come on our uh, website, um, uh, get active. Uh, We can initially, I think, locally turn our councils around, get them uh, getting that weed killer off our streets, off the playgrounds, off the kids' um, schools, and that's the place to start and the pressure will then build for our state and federal governments to really do something about this important issue.
0: Bob Phelps, speaking on 3CR's Wednesday Breakfast Program. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters.